Hey, What the Health listeners. Hi, everybody. Guess what? We got a big announcement to make. Huge announcement. Awesome announcement. Next Tuesday, for your next episode, we're rebranding. And so what does that mean? That means nothing's changing except for the name. The guts are the same. The packaging is different. Instead of what the health, now we're going to be called your doctor friends. Because that's what we are. We're your doctor friends. Totally. It's still Julie. It's still Jeremy. Mm -hmm. It's still all the awesome information you're looking for. Yes. But now we're just your personal doctor friends. It's awesome. And with that, we also have, is it trailer 2.0, Jeremy? Oh, the anticipation was killing me. (laughs) We recorded a new trailer, audio and visual, so we'll be able to be putting that later this week so you can listen to it on the feed here. Please subscribe to the feed. That way it'll go seamlessly. You don't have to go looking for us after next week when we have a new name, but it's the same people. It's your same doctor friends. And then we'll be posting the video on all of our social stuff. So please, please, please subscribe and follow it. And we're so excited. We're so excited. Yeah. Literally hit the pause button right now. <laughs> We've done this before. Julie and I will not leave. No, we're right here. Hit, hit pause. Mm-hmm. Hit the subscribe button wherever it is on the podcast you listen. Because next Tuesday when our new episode comes out, we don't want you to have to look for us. Mm-hmm. We want to be your doctor friends that just show up right in your feed with all the awesome stuff you're expecting. All the awesome stuff. All right. Wait for a second. You hit pause. Mm-hmm. And we're back. And we're, and still, we're still here. here. Yeah, good <laughs> All job. right, on with the episode. The last episode under the title, What the Health? It's a good one. Let's go. End of the era, on to the next. Yes. Hey, guys, it's me, Julie. And Jeremy. And we're still asking. What the health? Hey, Julie. You got a chief complaint for me today? Yeah, I, I sure do, Jeremy. Um, my chief complaint is, you know, I've been hearing a lot, especially with like young athletes and even with like patients that I've talked to that have kind of done some physical therapy and then finished it up and talking about something called sports performance. I don't know if you've heard of this, but I don't know. I think it's really interesting and I've been hearing a lot about it in the world of sports medicine. And thankfully, we've got two experts in this field with us today, our two guests, two guests this time. Two. Uh, I know, which is double my pleasure, double my fun, are Patrick Pauly and Dave Heidloff. They're both athletic trainers and sports performance specialists at our Midwest Orthopedics at Rush Sports Performance Center. And they're sort of going to explain to us what is meant by sports performance and what to do with it and how can we utilize it to help people out? Like who needs it? Who should be utilizing it? I want to hear all about what, you know, tell me about sports performance. Yeah, especially for two people who have not performed at sports in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I see sports performance basically as this, this huge umbrella term of just taking any human and trying to make them more efficient and more adept at doing whatever it is they want to do. Right. So we have a wide range of, of clients that we work with, some of which are what you'd expect, right? We have, you know, your professional baseball players, We've seen some guys, you know, getting ready for the NFL combine, but we also have, you know, your, your everyday athletes, you know, high school athletes. And we even have some, some elderly clients that we work with. One of our clients who's uh, 74 now, but she's this avid backpacker and just refuses to slow down in any way and just loves using our services to, you know, not only reduce her fall risk, but, um, you know, we're helping to work on some bone density things with her, 
but really just keep her on the trails that she wants to be on. And she's, you know, going for longer hikes now than she was a, a decade ago. So I really see it as just, you know, optimizing humans. That's, that's really what we're trying to do. That's awesome. If we walked in and saw you and I'm not 74, but hypothetically, this is a great <laughs> anecdote of a 74 year old person who says, I want to keep backpacking. What do you do? They walk in and they say they, that's what they want to do and they want to do more. So like, I think a lot of us, especially clinicians, right? Julie and myself are physicians. We see patients in the office. And many times when people come to us, they have a, they have a specific issue. And we're trying to necessarily and usually try to get rid of something like pain or dysfunction. And I feel like the way you've just described it is not necessarily every person is coming in and seeing you to necessarily get rid of something, but more so looking to enhance something. So how do you start assessing that? So in the case of the backpacker, right, we, we talk to them about, you know, what's worked in the past, what doesn't work, and, and what are you not happy about, right? What do, you, what do you think could be improved? And honestly, if you're really good at asking those questions, you can get a pretty good idea of, you know, where somebody wants to go and where they think that their, their limitations are. And then after that, we can get into some of the more objective testing. So we'll often take people through like a range of motion assessment, and ours is a little bit different in that you know, we look at, you know, what passive range of motion looks like, but we also look at what active range of motion looks like, right? So if, you know, someone can move their shoulder up over their head, if we can take them through that motion passively, but when we, we ask them to do that themselves, they have a, a limitation. That's something to us that's kind of a big red flag, right? You have this uncontrollable range of motion that we want to work on. And we, we do that for everyone from head to toe. And we also use some of our technology that we have. We have some wearable sensors that give us some ideas on what stability looks like, you know, the hip, the knee, the ankle, the core. And from all that, we can try to put together a plan that really helps, you know, address deficits that might be holding back performance and predisposing someone to injury. So I personally have have used these services and have been abused by both Patrick and Dave in the past. <laughs> and one of the things that that Patrick took an early liking to, and I guess, Pat, I don't know if you're still doing this, but I have to imagine you are, was all of those functional range of motion training. And I'll let you talk about the acronyms and things like that. But are you still using all of these, like trying to end range of motion, get functional end range of motion type of activities? Yeah, for sure. Like Dave said, the big difference between flexibility and mobility is like flexibility is where you someone can take you versus mobility is where you can go. And we don't want to uh, have all of this uncontrollable range of motion. So typically on day one, we'll look uh, specifically at the shoulders and the uh, the hips, depending on what, what kind of uh, athlete it is. But then if they're missing some passive range of motion that they might need, we'll take them. And you're familiar with uh, pails and rails, which is... Um, there they are. There they are. Uh, so pails is progressive angular isometric loading and rails is regressive angular isometric loading. And you stretch for at least a minute and then we we'll fire all of the lengthened tissue on one side for a prescribed amount of time and then all of the shortened tissue on the other side. And typically when we fire that shortened tissue on the other side, there's a fair amount of cramping, which is quite uncomfortable. I can attest to that. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, fun. I want to watch Jeremy do this. <laughs> you wanna, yeah. I cramp quite a bit. So, yeah, it is fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. I think it was the second or, or the third uh, session that you had. You're like, well, you really want to make sure that I'm doing this right. Huh? I'm like, yeah, we're going to we're going to do this every time you come in and, <laughs> and make a big difference because, you know, there's there's we don't have a quick fix for it because what we're given as people is, is a system. And over the course of weeks and really even months, we're going to make serious structural change and give you that active range of motion that we're looking for and follow it up with what we call those, those cars, the controlled articular rotations, which is telling your brain where your body can move, where each joint can move so that it can put all of the stuff together when you go out, whether you're throwing a baseball or 
you know, playing soccer or basketball or golf, whatever it is. Yeah. You explained this to me at one point and it just, I actually use this with all my patients and, and even with athletes, I just think it, it hammers home so much, but, but all of the flexibility training and, and when we're doing evaluations, and I have to say, even when I see in physical therapy offices, we do all this range of motion stuff, but it's never functional range of motion. I shouldn't say never, that's a strong word. But when we go to load something and we, we want to do it for a sport, so let's just say a basketball player is going to go up for a jump or in baseball, they're going to run to first base and extend out. Like they're taking their muscle, they're putting it on full stretch and they're loading it at the same time. And when you describe what we were trying to do is get to my end ranges of motion and then put force through it, it really hammered home like, wow, I don't think I can load my muscle without it basically falling off my bone unless we work on this. When you're in sport, you're moving so fast, you're getting into these ranges that you can't control. But, it, but if you've never trained it there, then that's when you're opening yourself up to injury, which is why we, you know, it's uncomfortable and, you know, you're on the floor and you're cramping and you, you're like, what am I doing? But at the, at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to, like we said, increase that active range of motion and make you as, as, you know, bulletproof as possible for when you get out on the field. Who do you think is qualified to do what you guys do? I mean, I know that you're both athletic trainers and that in and of itself took years of training. And then, you know, on top of that, I know there's different certifications that you both have achieved. Like, who should be doing this? <laughs> just the two um, of you and no one else? Yeah, <laughs> yeah just us. Only us. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, who would you, I mean, like, in, in this field, like, who do you think would be qualified to provide this treatment effectively and safely? Even the term sports performance is, is kind of a misnomer, right? It kind of lends itself more to like the enhancement side of things. Mm -hmm. And where I see our, our particular role is really in that like kind of like recovery and optimization space. And, and for that, you know, obviously I'm biased towards athletic trainers being one and, and mm -hmm. working with, you know, some of the best that, you know, that exist in the nation. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously very biased towards that. But, you know, I've worked with a lot of, you know, personal trainers over the last couple of years, too, that they understand it, right? They get it. And I think that the the wealth of knowledge that exists today, right? The democratization of, of knowledge that's happened with the internet and social media and everything like that. It's been this double-edged sword where the people that can take that knowledge and apply it effectively, I think are, you know, are in a good space to to give this type of advice of, of how to progress back from injury. I really prefer us as athletic trainers because we do have one foot in that sports medicine realm and understand the performance side of it as well. And we have that strong anatomical background. But I think that the lines on, you know, who should really be doing this is, is getting a little bit blurrier, to be honest with you. So there's other terms in, in medicine that have this connotation. And in orthopedics, one of them is always like the stem cell type of stuff. And we have our own little conversation on that separately. But there's certain things that advertise and market well, right? And the word sports performance does or some sort of performance training. And so there are just seems like a million places that advertise something like this. And I think really when Julie asked that question and I think to it myself, I'm like, do you guys have a litmus test? Like, how do I find out who's a bullshitter here? Mm -hmm. Like, who's just putting it on there and saying, like, you know, I used to be good at this sport. So come in here and I'll make you better versus like somebody who's taking, mm -hmm. you know, we, we see what you guys do. And I've actually been through it. And it's data-driven, and it's following specific guidelines, and it's using the data to try to then enhance performance, but also prevent injury. So, like, the injury prevention side of it. So, how do we get rid of the bullshit? How do we walk in and know within a session and know where this is bullshit? Mm. Well, I'm a huge fan of having objective data to, to rely on, and I think that that's a huge part of, of what we do. And then, you know, once you get into the treatment side of things or the, or the, the training sessions, I think just 
asking questions, right? Why am I doing this? If you don't understand the purpose of it, you know, ask the question and see if they can answer it and see if it sounds like, you know, something that's reasonable, right? And most people have a pretty good BS detector and can tell when people are, are sidestepping the question. So I would start with those two main things. What do you think, Patrick? One of my big things is if there's someone that acts as if and is very militant in, in their way is the only way and they know everything, then you might want to, you know, look somewhere else or at least keep an eye on what's going on. Because we, I always tell people that, you know, whether it's myself, Dave or, or Sean, we don't have egos when we're in there. And if we don't know something, we're going to tell you and we're going to talk to each other or we'll reach out to, you know, our doctors or whatever it is. I, I think you've got to find someone that has some humility and, and, you know, a little humble pie served every now and then. Yeah, that's really helpful. I wonder, do you guys ever get an athlete and say like, man, I really feel like the coach pushed this kid too hard or like this person was sort of mismanaged and maybe they're young and maybe they don't know better. Or maybe they just, you know, like what are some common like pitfalls that you're seeing in athletics that you're seeing these people and it's like, all right, we have to kind of retrain everything. One thing that I've noticed is a general lack of athleticism from some of the athletes that we're working with. Uh, when we Dave, begin with that, Dave, I, I, you, you said you weren't going to talk about my evaluation on this. <laughs> yeah, one guy in particular was a club. Yeah. I think that one thing that that I've noticed is that there are a lot of athletes that have gotten really good at like one or two particular things and mm-hmm. have learned how to do those things well, typically through compensation. Mm-hmm. And that's why they end up seeing us, right? They, mm-hmm. The baseball pitcher, right? That he's figured out how to use his arm to throw the ball effectively, right? But he's not using the rest of his body. Mm-hmm. And eventually that arm wears out, right? And when we get these people in, in the clinic to work with them, it's surprising how many of these kids that are starters on you know high school teams and things like that have trouble just doing like general like skipping drills and things like that as part mm-hmm. of our warm-up and the, oh, the lack of coordination is that they're in there yeah it's like a verbal eye roll i mean patrick can attest to this because i mean he's, he's like the master of taking people through this and and i see it i get to see it from the sidelines most of the time and just giggle but i see these kids that that really could build on their overall athleticism first and instead of you know really focusing on the, the one or two things that they happen to be good at like eight years ago. Right. Yeah. And, and they got kind of got pigeonholed into this one thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of these kids, especially the high level ones are engaged with some sort of strength coach or strength training program or whatever, because they're all talking about it when they're in the office with us. They're like, Oh yeah, I got a guy and we work out with him. Like, so like, where's the gap, Patrick? And where's the gap, Dave? Like why, why are they coming to you and can't do this simple stuff that you want them to do, but they're working out with these people. I think one of the big things like with some of the strength training stuff specifically is you get strength trainers that want to put everyone almost into a bodybuilding program. Right. Mm -hmm. And and want to work everything. And, you know, what we consider like one, maybe two planes of motion. Right. Mm -hmm. Where if someone's only squatting, only deadlifting, but then you ask them to like rotate to throw a ball, things fall apart. Right. Mm -hmm. The second that we're not doing everything in a perfectly straight line or, or just working strictly on vertical jumps, things, things tend to fall apart there. That's huge. I I think that's That's that's, that's a huge missing component. I think, again, you know, kind of going back to the previous question, too, I think we're not getting, in some cases, proper evaluations to begin with, right? We don't know what these kids' limitations are, and we're expecting them to go through, you know, do these, you know, CrossFit Olympic-style workouts when, you know, their ankles don't move. I mean, that's the thing we see all the time. You know, we, we see so many people that have had ACL tears or, you know, recurrent patella dislocations, 
And like nine times out of 10, no joke, their, their ankles don't move even after finishing with physical therapy. Their, their ankles still are incredibly stiff. And again, they're compensating them because of that. And they, they don't have the prerequisites really to be doing the type of training that they're, that they're doing. That is so cool, guys. Just talking about the different planes of motion is just so awesome. Mm -hmm. And then thinking about the body parts above and below and just all of those things that, that again, in the way that the American healthcare system is set up is like the, the physician is rarely spending the time to look at those things because again, they're invested into the, yeah. the, the symptomatic part. And then in physical therapy, the goals, a lot of times the things, the objectives at the end are generally speaking, not those things either. And it's not meant to single out that there's not therapy that's doing all of those, that stuff, but we're talking about a ton of people, right? And it's just, mm -hmm. it's just, a, it's a, it's an oversight. I think a lot of people want to, you know, do the sexy exercises that they, they see on Instagram. But at the end of the day, when you come in and it, like Dave said earlier, you know, if you haven't been assessed, like, can you shoulder flex? Can you internally rotate your hip? All these different things. Can you hip hinge? And if you can't hip hinge, then you can't do most of sport really. Julie, can you show us, can you hip hinge? Is that just twerking? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, any of these strategies would be dependent on buy-in. You know what I mean? Like, right. You're not going to get results unless you actually do this shit. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the know? thing, right? We, you know, I spent almost a decade in the field, and we implemented some of these these programs. Like a, a really popular one is the FIFA 11 program, mm -hmm. and we did that with our soccer team. And the years when you had the, you know, the, the type of team leaders that would take everyone through that and actually, you know, call people out when they were, you know, being lazy with it, we, we, you know, anecdotally saw some pretty drastic reductions in in injuries, right? Mm -hmm. And even the the ones that we saw, it seemed, you know, again, anecdotally that the severity was, was decreased. And it was, you know, all from just the, you know, the diligence of putting in an extra 15, 20 minutes, you know, a few times a week. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like you said, the, the buy-in's tough, you know, prevention's not sexy. And that's, no. that's why, you know, we kind of circle back here, but that's why sports performance is the preferred term for what we do. Yeah. But the truth is, is, is if we, we address the things that are predisposing you to injury, right? those are likely going to make you a better athlete, not only mm -hmm. because it keeps you healthier and on the field, but, you know, again, if we go back to say like, you know, your ankles don't move. Now that's you, all of us here know that, you know, that's a huge injury risk for all kinds of stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. even if something minor, like, you know, some tendonitis all the way up to, you know, something catastrophic, like a, like an ACL tear. Right. But if we can address those ankles, not only will, will we reduce your risk of injury, but that gives you access to a whole other joint to perform motions on. It gives you more variability when you're cutting, pivoting, things like that. It gives you a, a better chance, more access to more tissue, right? For when you're, you know, cutting, pivoting, jumping, it gives you access to more muscle fibers, right? More, more crossover to access to get more power and energy out of your motion. So, I mean, we, we can kind of hit both things at the same time. We're just going to call it sports performance because, yeah. you know, again, the, the injury prevention is you know, no one wants to pay for that. Well, right. So the motivation here, when you guys have people coming in, right, is they're paying for it, right? So this isn't covered by insurance. And so, you know, a lot of times when I'm using it, I, I tell people, it's like you're paying for a personal trainer, but you're getting objective data with it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not just come in and do what I think is right. So, you know, I think that what you said in the mass when you're in with the high school team is going to be a lot harder than when somebody walks in the door and they they're paying per session to be there. Like the kid, you know, they're going to be much more invested in it. Yeah. Have you seen this model done elsewhere are you guys seeing this pop up across the country anywhere because I, obviously julie just kind of set up 
this nicely, but like you can't get to everybody. I, I'd love to say that you guys are going to get so busy that you can't see everybody and there's just going to be line out your door and that would be wonderful. But at the end of the day, like this is stuff that people should be doing. Is it happening across the country? Yeah, I mean, we, we see it in certain spots. I mean, there, we have competitors, right? People that, you know, we, we pay attention to what they're doing and they're doing great work where they're at. But yeah, I, I think it's something that's, it's missing in a lot of areas, right? I think we're lucky here living in a large metro area where we have access to a lot of these types of services. But I mean, you get, you know, probably more than 30, 40 miles outside of the city. I, I think it gets really hard to find, you know, this is going to sound really egotistical, but like the high quality of care that we're giving and, and the continuity of care to get you back to support. I don't think you're seeing that in a lot of places. Talk about the model. I think introduce people to the concept of how you work because you're part of our practice in a way, right? So so we have our orthopedic practice that we've introduced in the past, but you guys work closely with physicians and you're not just like personal trainers who who deal with people. So like explain how you work closely with doctors and how that works. So we'll get referrals. Uh, typically, like the bulk of our, uh, of our clients are uh, ACL reconstruction then like some kind of Tommy John or labor repair. And they will come in for an assessment at 22 weeks after ACL reconstruction. And then for the throwers, it'll be basically once they're throwing from about 120 feet uh, pain-free. And we'll do an assessment on them using the Dorsa V system that David mentioned earlier for the ACL reconstruction. Then we do 3D motion analysis for the throwers. So we get this, we get a ton of objective data for them. We talk to them about what it is, the deficits that we're seeing, and then, you know, kind of explain how we can help them moving forward. Julie, when you see patients in the clinic, how do you use this? So like from the other side, right? So they're, they're getting the patients referred to them, and it sounds like a lot of post-operative patients. We right. don't do surgery. Talk about what you do. To be honest, most of the, the folks that I've sent your way have been my younger athletes that are trying to return back to sport either after an injury or... The kids that I see having issues are kids that are still kind of growing and developing a bit too. So having them kind of like work around their osgood Schlatter syndrome or work around their patellar tendonitis or work around their little league shoulder. So like things that really are probably only happening them for to them for a few years and then they're going to kind of grow out of it. But those are really, really important years for these young athletes. You know, it's probably like their high school years. So I've utilized sports performance a lot for that group of young people who may just have a thing that's going to be annoying that I don't want them to, to have that get in the way of their ability to play. So that's really important. And other folks, it's been people that maybe have already done physical therapy and feel like they've, maybe they're out of pain, but they still don't feel like they're functioning at the level that they want to be to be able to, to do their athletic activity. Like maybe they're like, well, yeah, my, like my knee doesn't really hurt anymore, but I just don't feel like I can totally trust it. You know, like it's kind of those that like, I just need a little bit more. And I, I mean, I hate the concept of taking somebody out of their sport. Cause I think a lot of people are scared to come see me as a patient because they're afraid I'm going to tell them they can't do that thing anymore whether they're a kid that has an injury or whether they're an adult that has, that I'm going to tell them like, <laughs> there was a joke about like guy goes into the, to the doctor because his ankle hurts. And the doctor's like, well, yeah, like you're over 40. You just have like shitty ankle now. <laughs> like, that's just what you have. Like I just have shitty ankle. So I think a lot of people come to me and, and are worried that I'm going to be like, you're just old and gross and you can't anymore. And, <laughs> and, and that's like, Never the case. And I think it, that's people's like just their fear. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm using it to answer your question, Jeremy. I think I'm using it for, um, I have used it a lot for my, my young athletes that maybe have like a nagging thing that just needs a bit more time and more nuance to it. And then also my, you know, adult athletes that maybe don't have like a gigantic, painful, dysfunctional thing. They just, they need to kind of almost like build their confidence again. One of the major advantages for us as well is like Dave was alluding to earlier is like the, all these these patients that can't bend their ankle where we take a much more global approach. And just because your shoulder hurts mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the shoulder is driving the dysfunction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's what does your pelvis do? What does your rib cage do? What is your spine? Can you rotate your, your thoracic spine at all? Because mm-hmm. if you can't rotate your thoracic spine, you probably shouldn't be throwing a baseball. Yeah, We have the advantage of, of spending a full hour with with our clients, with our athletes, with our patients, whatever you want to call them, every time they come in. So occasionally we, we might get a little bit lost in trying to chase to figure out what is really driving this, like mm-hmm. taking it joint by joint, one at a time. Okay, we're going to spend a little bit of extra time to try and tease out what is actually going on. For me, there's just certain people that this is a slam dunk and it shouldn't even be an option. Unfortunately, as physicians, most of the time the patients are getting to us, there's already a problem. Mm-hmm. I very rarely see somebody coming in and be like, I just would love your advice to prevent some injury. <laughs> it's rare. It just doesn't happen, right? I mean, yeah. it, the, the insurance system doesn't incentivize that. And we don't get incentivized generally to go to the doctor if nothing is wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be great if everybody walked through the sports performance door and said, listen, I want to keep doing this for the next 30 years, prevent some injury with me. But it's just, it's not the case. Yeah. And maybe in the future, but I think most of the time they come to us and they already have a problem. And I think, some slam dunks are any overhead athlete, specifically throwers, Mm -hmm. but any pitcher or overhead athlete who sees me in the office and had an injury, they're not getting back until they've done a throwing analysis. I mean, it's not to say that they're not cleared to throw. I'm just saying that like, it's too delicate of a, of a motion overhead throwing a baseball is not normal. Yeah. And there's too many segments of it that you can't figure out. And I've been down there, man. I, I pitched my whole life. I pitched right through college and I've stood there with the pitching coach that stands behind you and gives you these feedback and he's just using his eyes. And I don't know what the qualifications are to make the hundred bucks an hour (laughs) that they're standing there to get. Like it's, it's some of it's just absolute garbage. And, And these parents don't know any better, right? They're just trying to get good advice for their kids. And they're going to people who've had success in the past. But many times those people, they've just had a a player come through who's really good. And that person all of a sudden makes that coach famous because that that player was great. And I'm not, there's definitely some great pitching coaches out there who are using technology and things like that. But ultimately speaking, if I had had this technology when I was younger, where I could have a 3D motion analysis on me and tell me all the things that I was doing, I guarantee I wasn't using ground reaction forces the best way I could. And so I didn't know that stuff. Every pitcher should be getting this and they should be getting it before they get hurt, honestly. So if I have a pitcher come in and they're hurt, they're getting a throwing analysis. Another one is runners. Chicago is so full of runners, man. Everybody loves to run here. And the thing about runners, in my experience, is runners like to run. They just like to run. Yeah. They don't and like do to do anything else. else. And and, again, and I don't mean to hate That's on I don't mean to hate on that, but no. Dave already touched on the fact that rotational and lateral stuff is so important. Right. And so 
anybody who wants to be a runner, you're getting a running analysis. Yeah. Like, why would you not pay a few hundred bucks and have somebody tell you all the reasons why you're going to get injured? Yeah. I just don't understand why you would do that. You're paying that in shoes. Yeah. Once you're yeah. on our side of things and you and you see people and you assess them for dysfunction, you can't unsee that. So then when you're like on the running trail and you're like, oh, God, no. Like you see someone running like Phoebe from Friends and you're just like, no, Here's- have you not blown out your knees already? If you listen to us and learn what we tell you, yeah, yeah you'll hate running around other people for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Guarantee It'll it. It'll ruin it for you. That's a we Dave Heidloff guarantee. <laughs> I just hand out your card on the trail. Here's it. Here's yeah. the- okay. <laughs> Dr. Patrick. Yeah. yeah. Fix you up real good. So those are slam dunks to me. I just don't know. Like those patients always. Yeah. I would say the other broad category for me is. There's a lot of people who have, for lack of a better term, burned out on physical therapy. Yeah. How often, Julie, have you heard the term? And I'm sure it happens all the time when you guys see people, Dave and Pat, where you're like, I've done those exercises a million times. I've done those exercises a million times. You want me to do a clamshell? Watch this. Yeah. You know, like I can clamshell like nobody's business. Right. And you're like, yeah. I get it. I get it. Because right. to a certain extent, you're right. And you know what? You need an individual who's going to give you a full hour and do an assessment on you head to toe, as Patrick already talked about. And you know what? They're going to come at it from a different perspective and you're going to have to pay for it. It's not covered by insurance, but you know what? I think you're going to be pretty impressed. That clamshell person, three-fourths of the time, probably using more spine than they realized. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Guarantee it because we we see that all the time. And the truth is even us, right? Like when, when Patrick and I are working out and stuff, we'll see each other working out we probably see flaws in each other's exercise form, right? Mm-hmm. So you can imagine people people that are not <laughs> the the world-renowned experts that we are start going in to do like a rotator cuff exercise. And instead of using their rotator cuff, they, they've learned just over time that, oh, I can just rotate my whole body. Mm-hmm. And that basically accomplishes the same thing. And, you know, now they're, they're compensating. And they're not even doing the exercise correctly. All they're doing is reinforcing poor patterns. Like Patrick was saying, like, you know, we see all these people with shoulder issues who are, who are throwers and, Really, the problem is that they, you know, their hip doesn't move, so they can't use their legs. So now they have to arm the ball or their, or their T-spine doesn't rotate. Mm-hmm. So let's give them the tools to do that, right, as uncomfortable as they might be, and educate them on how to do that so they have some self-efficacy. And, and that's a huge thing that we do. That's, that's a, again, I think a big thing for us is how much we educate our, our clients that we work with to try to give them the tools that they can use, ideally for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. right? I, I'd love for people to be able to leave and you know, kind of show, you know, uh, hit pails and rails to, you know, to their aunt who's a runner, you know, and, and maybe help them out. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a big differentiator for us is we, we take the time to explain everything. And, you know, some people are receptive to that, some aren't, but the ones that are really, you know, those are our, our, our highest performing clients are, are the ones that, that buy in, they understand what we're doing, the whole ethos behind it, and, and they buy into it. So Julie already gave you a, a scenario where she described herself and her deficiencies, but I think people love anecdotes. Fix my butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's kind of what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, she said. I, people love anecdotes though. Maybe give us a, like each, uh, like a patient or a client you guys really remember, like what they came in with and how things went. So a little older client, I think fifties bilateral knee arthritis. And it was like getting down on the ground was difficult. Now, they've been coming to us for probably over a year, doing plyometric jumps at this point, trap bar deadlifts. I mean, just getting much stronger and moving better every single day and working on all of this stuff. Well, how did that person end up with you? Why did they end up at Sports Performance? 
knee arthritis doesn't scream sports of performance, right? So like why did it was kind of the thing where it was like, you know, tried physical therapy and it didn't work. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, come on by. We'll figure it out. What are some examples of some things that you're doing with them that led to this good outcome? Like what was different than if I was just at the therapy office? Well, I think time is a big factor. At the beginning, there was definitely a fair amount of uh, hip pales rails. Dr. Allen, you're familiar with the position, but you get down in the 90-90 where your your one uh, hip is out to the side, one's in front, both knees are bent at 90 degrees. Uh, The person couldn't do that, couldn't get down in that. So we had to modify it. We start on the table. And now getting down into that position is no problem whatsoever. Dave? The person I'm thinking of, the the thing that kind of really just blew my mind when working with them, this was a, a high school pitcher, plays on a very elite baseball team, and most of the other pitchers on the roster are going to a D1 school. He's kind of still waiting to, you know, be picked up. And he did a a throwing assessment, actually part of a a larger study that we'd done over at one of our our sports performance centers. And, you know, we noticed that he just wasn't using his lower half. In fact, his lower half was probably taking away from his pitching mechanics. And this kid's throwing on a pretty elite roster and he's basically, you know, sinking in on his lead leg. So when he would, you know, the leg would go out in front to throw instead of that kind of properly bracing so he could rotate, he was basically going down into a deep lunge, basically to the point where his chest was touching his thigh and then throwing the ball. And apparently, you know, when I saw him for his very first follow-up, after we'd gone through all the the mobility stuff, I'm like, okay, let's talk about your mechanics. And coaches had told him for a long time, stop sinking on your knee, stop sinking on your knee. But no one had ever explained to him what exactly they meant by that and what the consequences were and what the correct thing would look like. Mm -hmm. And... All it took was a few minutes with a medicine ball and throwing it into the wall and showing him how when he properly used that his left leg to to brace and to basically instead of going into a deep lunge, but kind of extend that leg and get his hips to rotate. The second he saw the difference that made and how fast the medicine ball came out, it was like a, like a light bulb went off, mm-hmm. right? So we let him, you know, throw a baseball immediately afterwards. And he was like, oh, that's what you mean by it. Now, of course, like his timing's off. So he's like spiking the ball and everything like that. And that's, you know, kind of a, a rough patch we go through. But no one had ever taken the time to educate him on why is blocking with your lead leg so important? No one had ever told him why or even what it really meant. He's just been like thrown these phrases over and over and over again. And yeah, we, we were just able to, through various drills, kind of reinforce that over and over and over again. And now as far as I know, is having a really good season. Hopefully we get good news about where he's going to be playing in the next couple of years uh, sometime soon. But again, that, that educational component is just huge. And, and you guys know that as, as physicians, you know how important that is for, for patient buy-in just to, to have them understand what you're trying to do and, and why. Yeah. Perfect. Those are great. One thing I just wanted to bring up, I don't know if you've worked at all with women after pregnancy trying to, you know, kind of get back to the stuff that they wanted to do beforehand, because obviously like going through a traumatic (laughs) event such as Mm -hmm. delivering a baby, you know, especially if it was a more difficult delivery or if they had to go through a surgical delivery, like, I don't know, have you seen any, any like postpartum women or women that are trying to get back to their sport after having a baby? Anecdotally speaking, too, right, like women who have a baby want to get back to exercise. And generally speaking, you know, Julie, you and I talk all the time how about weight loss counseling is pretty shitty. Like think about like exercise counseling and how shitty exercise counseling is. It's just like, oh, yeah, you're cleared. Go back. You can exercise. Just go Go exercise. Go do what you want. And and, like the vast majority (laughs) of women who have just had a baby or frankly, uh, people coming off injury, they're like, so what does that mean? Yeah. So I, I just think the concept of having guided return to activity is super helpful. And knowing that you can go to a place where they're using active data and they're under, you know, the purview of an academic center is so much better than just 
finding your local, you know, personal trainer yeah. you know, situation. Well, there's that. And there's, you know, there are modalities that we use too. It'd be really mm-hmm. beneficial to that population as well, right? We talked about the the difficulty with intra-abdominal pressure. And while we're working to build that back up, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people don't want to wait for results, right? So right. there's something that we use pretty frequently called blood flow restriction training, mm-hmm. where uh, we put, you know, these these cuffs on on the legs or the arms and uh, it doesn't cut off blood flow, but it does make blood flow a little bit more difficult to get, you know, out of the limb. Restricted. Which yeah. Restricted, some oh, would say. Okay. The hard uh, part, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, you know, it's, it's a modality we can use to help build strength, build muscle in, in ways similar to heavy lifting without yeah. actually putting people at risk with, with the heavier weights. And it's, that's a good bridge, right? To get people back to where they want to be, yeah. you know, whether it's CrossFit or whatever they're getting into. Yeah. I want to hear more about your toys because you have blood flow restriction and then you've talked about the Dorsa V stuff, but I want the eccentric machine. Can we talk about briefly oh. about the eccentric machine that almost killed me? So the eccentric machine, that's a flywheel machine. And uh, if you've never seen a, a flywheel machine in action, they're absolutely brutal. Is there stuff on YouTube? Can we? Can people YouTube this? Yeah, absolutely. Look up eccentric. It's spelled E-X-X-entric, E-N-T-R-I-C. But basically, it's, it's a lar- what? <laughs> it's a large spinning plate with a, a belt basically attached to your body. And, you know, you can do basic things like bicep curls or squats. But the trick with the flywheel is, is that the resistance is dictated by how fast you're spinning it. So that means if I stand up from a, the bottom part of a squat slowly, it pulls down very slowly. It's very easy to control. Mm. If I stand up with a lot of force, you can go mm. max effort force. It's going to pull you down with almost that same amount of force. Oh, wow. So it's completely self-dictated. So you can essentially do one rep max after one rep max after one rep max. And obviously the, your your intensity is going to decrease over time, but so does the resistance. It kind of matches what your output is, mm. which if you give it high effort is absolutely going to murder whatever part of the body you're yes, working on. <laughs> it does. That I can also attest to. Also, if you don't know what you're doing, it may murder you. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. But that machine is the best. And so just, uh, I think a little bit of a glimpse into like some of these special things in the, these tools that they have that, that are data supported that again, you don't find at your local necessarily physical therapy or certainly at a personal trainer or whatever. All right, let's go into rapid fire round. I have one serious question and then we're going to ask you questions that are not serious, but all right. So just finish up. We like to do a summary thing. Tell us one piece of advice you give to anybody listening in terms of sports performance or this type of field. I think it would be to kind of not to alarm uh, or scare Bears fans, but trust the process. No, you know, there, there's there's no quick fix. Mm-hmm. You got to be dedicated. You got to put the work in, and, and you know, embrace the suck, as they say. <laughs> Man, you're all over the Chicago acronym. Well, <laughs> yeah, like there it. you go. I like it. I'd say be your own advocate mm-hmm. because honestly, you know your body better than anybody. We may be experts in what are doing what we're doing, but I don't know what your body feels like, and that's not in the creepy way that it just came out. But, yeah, um, we didn't take it that way, man. <laughs> you know, you're, you know what's going on with you better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Speak up for yourself. Ask questions if you don't understand, because most healthcare providers are going to be more than happy to explain what they're doing and why. And if they can't, find those answers from someone else. And building off of that, recover. Recovery is incredibly mm-hmm. important. Yeah. yeah. I, I read a quote once that that I've never met a under-trained runner, only an under-recovered runner. And I was like, God, that's yeah. so true. Perfect. That's a great way to put it. I mean, the, the, each workout should match what, whatever your maximum recovery can be afterwards. Dave, <laughs> last book you read for fun? The Martian. Patrick? Oh, poop potatoes. Scale. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine was we poop on the potty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Toddlers. Toddlers. All right, Julie. You said you had one. What do you guys listen to in the car on your commutes? I listen to a lot of podcasts. I like uh, Cleared Hot. Andy Stump's former Navy SEAL. He has some great guys on there, and and just a cool stories and a lot of fun. It's a great, great podcast. Cleared Hot. Cool. Well, this is where we get recommendations. Honestly, personally, totally. So I love it, Dave. What's keeping you awake in the car? Also a big podcast guy. There's a, a baseball podcast by a guy named Eric Cressy called the Elite Baseball Performance Podcast, I think. Really good stuff there. It's it's great because you get to hear how high-level professional kind of uh, distills things down for other people to hear. And if not that, then probably like hardcore rep. Nice. Patrick, one exercise that you tell other people to do that you physically can't do yourself. <sighs> oh. <laughs> uh, we do an anti-rotation RDL where you have a the band is, if you're going to do an RDL, the band's on the outside leg and it's trying to pull you in, but it just absolutely destroys your, your down hip. I only demonstrate like two of them. I can yeah. demonstrate any exercise two or three times very well, <laughs> but then I make people do it like, you know, three sets of 10 or whatever. How did Dave? Patrick gave me some stuff that he actually got from uh, Dr. Bruni's husband that oh, yeah. uh, absolutely Ooh, got I like him. everything all my intercostal stuff just to seize up yeah um and i haven't done it since i uh, did not like it so <laughs> oh for one on that one and we're just gonna keep it oh for one for a while that's the stuff he uses on babies <laughs> yeah guys this was super fun thank you for coming on we really enjoyed having the conversation sports performance is an ever-changing field so we hope to have you back on in the future for those listening, do you want to give a reference on where they can find you and get more information? Go to rushortho.com slash SPC. That's our landing page. You can find information about all of our services. There's a scheduling button there uh, where you can actually just schedule an assessment, pay for it, and you know, schedule yourself so we don't have to. <laughs> if not, there's a phone number. And we're nice. nice I promise. Yes. Sweet. <laughs> all right. And a lot of fun. Yeah. Julie? Are we still asking? Hey, what the hell? Peace. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. What the Health podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.